Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. If you can, we are going to have, amen, amen, worship the Lord, amen. We have one week off this week from the family series, we'll be doing something else today, one week off, and before you right now stands a very dangerous person, I'm a WMD. It's not a weapon of mass destruction. It's a white man in a dishiki. So be scared, be very scared. What in the world just happened? Amen. And God is good. Someone asked me what this is made out of. It's actually, uh, it's made out of uh, a combination of polyester and vibranium. So I'm very powerful today. How many people are going to uh, Malawi with us? A few people I see, amen. A few people, we usually go on Ethiopian Airlines this week. This year, we're changing. We're not going on Ethiopian Airlines. We're going on Wakandan Airlines. I saw their vehicles and they look much nicer. They can land us right where we wanna go, amen. Excited to be with you today. Well, let's jump into uh, what I want to talk about today. I remember the very first time I went to Africa, 2011, and we went with the team, and what I saw and experienced in Africa was like nothing I'd ever seen or experienced in my life. What I saw was that there was in everything about the culture, whether it was in church or outside of church, there was the idea that the spiritual realm and the physical realm come together and collide. There's the reality of the spiritual realm invading, being a part of, having an impact on everything about life every single day. It's not separated. Now remember uh, being led into the back after service one day with Pastor Manda and a few other people with a young man who was clearly out of his mind. He had been involved in occult practices and that included blood rituals and these other things that he was involved in. And they said, we need to pray for this man because he's possessed of the devil. And we prayed for him, and we prayed long, we prayed hard, and at the end of that time, he seemed different. But the beautiful thing is, every year I've gone back to Africa, I've seen this same young man. He is in his right mind, he is in the church, he is serving God with his life. There was a young girl who was very, very sick, and... Uh, her mother was distraught. They had thought it was malaria. The medication wasn't working. They didn't know what was going on to, with her. And they asked uh, a couple of us to pray. We laid hands on the young lady. We prayed for her. There was no immediate 
healing, but I remember the next day getting the report, she's better. And, and we heard all of these reports wherever we went about supernatural, spiritual realities uh, of enemy forces at work and of God at work. It was everywhere. I'll never forget, we came back to the States and I was, I was utterly amazed at the work of God. Came back to the States, got back to Philadelphia, the place where that kind of stuff doesn't happen. The devil's not everywhere. Demonic forces aren't at work, thank God. We've got everything figured out with science, with math, with medicine. We've got it all figured out. And so we landed back in Philadelphia. The first news report I heard was this. There was a young woman in Camden the day before. She had two very young children. She murdered her two children. And then the report was that she turned the gun on herself and murdered herself. Thank God I was now in the land where the enemy's not wreaking havoc. Thank God that we can figure all, everything out medically and in other ways. But the reality was I was utterly amazed at the blindness of our culture as we look at these things. And so today we want to look at where the spiritual realm and the physical realm collide. What does the Bible have to say about that? Let's look at, you don't have to stand, I'm going to read for you Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavenlies. Verse 13. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today on the subject, a call to war. It's a call to war, and the reality is that for most of us in from Western culture, not everybody here is, but for those of us who have grown up in Western cultures, we can be very unaware of the spiritual realities all around us. I think sometimes that in, in our culture, Pentecostals and people who are in the charismatic movement get it much better than we do from a Reformed Christian perspective. They understand this reality more than we do. But the reality is this, unless you understand this reality that every day that you wake up, you wake up into a war zone. If you don't understand it, and if you don't know how to engage it, then you stand as a casualty ready to happen. So let me pray, and we'll go into this passage. Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have not left us by ourselves to fend for ourselves. But even in this passage and throughout your word, you've shown us how it is that we should wage war so that we would win. 
So Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, as we look at your word today, that you would uh, empower your people by your spirit to stand for you, that your name might be glorified in us and through us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's three parts to this call that we're going to look at today. It is the call to strengthen, the call to strategize, and the call to stand. As Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, it's a different kind of letter than most of the other letters that Paul writes. He writes it from a prison. Just about the same time he wrote the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon that we just went through. Uh, basically, same imprisonment, same time, he's writing Ephesians as well. But it's a different sort of letter. In Colossians, in Galatians, in Thessalonians, you see these letters to particular churches where he is drawing out specific things and heresies that are going on, uh, practices in those churches that he needs to call out and address specifically. Ephesians isn't like that. And so even though it's written to the church at Ephesus, the idea and the use of this letter, even from the very beginning, was that everyone in the whole region, Asia Minor, what today we would call modern day Turkey, we want everyone to hear this. And so this letter is different. It's broken up into two basic parts. The first part of Ephesians chapters 1 through the middle of chapter 4, he is dealing with the realities of what God has done on behalf of his people. He is taking us back into heaven before the foundation of the world and says something like, God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. He talks about the mystery of God revealed in time to his people that God's love is a saving love he talks about the power of darkness but then he says in the middle of I think it's verse 4 of chapter 2 but God because of his great love for us sent Jesus Christ and he tells us of this great salvation that we have. He says that I didn't come for multiple churches. I came for one church, one people of God, not Jews and Gentile churches, not black and white churches, not Hispanic and Asian churches, but there's one church of God under one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And so in the first part of Ephesians, he lays out the wondrous glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's come to do but then it's interrupted in the middle of chapter 4 and he talks about he takes it from these spiritual heavenly eternal realities and he brings it right down into the nitty-gritty of your everyday life how then should you live it's like God is saying I'm trying to say this word right I don't know how to say it but God is saying brah I'm trying to say that right my son was trying to teach it to me like two years ago. Everybody was on the subway like, bruh, bruh, bruh. But God's saying, bruh, I just told you what I did. Now here's what I want you to do. That's what he does in the second half of the book. The gospel is what Christ has done for you. But the gospel always leads to and shows us a moral framework of living that is based on the character of God that shows us how to live to give him glory. And that's what he does in the second half of this book. He gets real practical. 
how relationships work, how we relate to one another, how a husband relates to a wife, a wife to a husband, children to parents, parents to children. He talks about uh, our relationship with alcohol at one point. He says, don't be uh, addicted to much wine. He tells us that we shouldn't be those who are inebriated. He gets into nitty gritty daily living stuff. And then at the end of the book, as we come here to Ephesians chapter 6, now he's going to show us how the heavenly thing and then the working it out on earth, where do those collide? They collide right in the verses that we're looking at today. And he says in the beginning of verse 10, finally, finally, he, he's saying, he's saying, I've told you how you live this thing out, but I'm going to tell you, you don't have the strength to do it. Because the enemy's bigger than you know, the enemy's stronger than you know, the enemy's spiritual, not just physical. Finally, let me show you how to get the power that you're going to need to live this thing out. And so the first point today is this, a call to strengthen. Verse 10, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. I love that phrase, be strengthened by the Lord. There's a, a verb here that's used to be strengthened, and it's in the imperative mood, which means the imperative says this is a command from God to you. The command is be strengthened. It's not a suggestion. It's not, you know what, it might be a good idea if y'all get strengthened. No, it's a command. Be strengthened. A second part about this in Greek, it's what's called a present tense. A present tense is different than our present tense because in Greek, a present tense means it's something that is to be done over and over and over again, not just once. So he's saying, be strengthened. I command you to be strengthened, but it's not enough to say, well, I got saved. I got saved in 1980. I got strengthened then. 1980 isn't helping me in 2018, y'all. 2017 isn't helping me in 2018. January 2018 isn't helping me on February 18th. February 17th, my birthday, isn't helping me either. I need his strength today. So be strengthened as a command. Be strengthened over and over and over again. But now here's the curveball. This is the crazy part. It's in what is called uh, the, the passive mood. So it's passive. In other words, God is saying, you can't do this yourself. This needs to be done to you. Now, if I tell you, you have to do something and you have to do it over and over again, but you can't do it, you would look at me like I'm crazy. And you should, but I'm not God. When God tells you to do it, you got to do it. So what is he saying? He's saying you can't do it. It's passive. What he's saying is this. Put yourself in the position in order that God might strengthen you over and over again. Make sure you're in the right place. Make sure you're in the right position. If you're not, you're about to get knocked out in this thing. Be strengthened, he says, by the Lord and by his vast strength. Listen, the biggest problem that we have in the Western church is that we think we have what it takes to get the job done. But you don't. If I woke up tomorrow morning and said, you know what? I want a piece of Mike Tyson. Something about him, he just gets on my last nerve. And I call him up, I'm like, yo, Mike. He's like, what's up, Larry? I said, man, 
I need to fight you, man. I I'm a little mad. Let's get a ring. Let's get some gloves. Let's do this thing. Now, I hope y'all would be praying for me. Some of y'all would be like, okay, Pastor Larry, go ahead. Do your thing. I'm getting in a ring with Mike. And listen, I can get in a ring with Mike. I can put on boxing shorts. I can put on gloves. But I'm probably not coming out of the ring looking the way I looked when I went into the ring. Y'all know Mike is stronger than me. Mike is faster than me, even in, at his age, which is still much younger than my age. And, and, and Mike has some skills. Now, here's the thing. I have a better chance against Mike than you have against this spiritual enemy that the Bible talks about. Because Mike and I are still dealing with the same realities. It's physical against physical. Mike might have an off day. I mean, he might. He might not know about some of my skills. Hey, man, look at these guns, y'all. Come on, Mike. What you gonna do about this, Mike? I'm gonna lose to Mike. I'm deluding myself now. And you're going to lose every time you enter into this war where you are not filled with the strength that comes from Jesus. You need to be filled with the strength that comes from him. There's three ways that I, I'm thinking about that you can know if you're fighting in your own strength. They're the, these. Number one, you're fighting in your own strength when your prayer life is anemic. Your prayer life is anemic. Your prayer life... Life looks more like going through the drive-through at Dunkin' Donuts than it does like the contemplative life of Jesus that we see in the Gospel of Luke. You're just running through it. Got to do it. Check it off. Number two, you don't have time for Bible study. You might read it a little bit sometimes. You might even read it every day. I read it. Boom. Check. Done. Good to go. You don't know what it means. You're not wrestling with what God is saying to me when I read his word. You're not trying to figure out how is God instructing me, how is God empowering me, how is God encouraging me, what is God warning me about. I'm checking off that I read today. You're fighting in your own strength if you don't have time for Bible study. And number three, you're fighting in your own strength if you're not all that upset about your own sin. You may get upset about a lot of other people's sin. You may get upset about the government. You may get upset about uh, educational disparities. We should be upset about these things. But if you're not upset about your own sin, you're in trouble. Strike one, weak prayer life. Strike two, not digging in the word. Strike three, you're not upset with your own sin. And strike three, you're out. The enemy has his grips on you. You need to be strengthened by the Lord. Strengthened by the Lord. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. I, I love this phraseology here. When he says put on, it is the language of putting on clothes. He says, I want you to wear and, and he goes in later into each piece of the full armor. We don't have time to do that today. But he's saying, in, in summary, put on Jesus Christ. I want you to put on Christ. Now, people that know me know I know nothing about fashion, so I might mess up some names right here. But he's not saying 
put on Prada. He's not saying put on Moschino. He's not saying put on Gucci. I wanted to call it Gucky, but it's Gucci. He's not saying put on Supreme or Fashion Nova or Louis Vuitton. That ain't gonna win you this fight. He's saying put on Jesus. Let yourself be clothed in Jesus. That is the garment. That is the one who strengthens you for this battle. You're called to be strengthened. But not only that, you're called to strategize. If you look in verse 11, some more, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. To, to strategize is number one, to know your enemy, and then to know your enemy's vulnerabilities. You've got to strategize, he says, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, some of you know there was a football game a couple weeks ago, right? The Eagles played. They won, by the way. And, and in that game, but one of the players came out uh, later and said that teams always do what they call a walkthrough the day before the game, right? And in the walkthrough, what they do is practice the plays that they're going to run in the game. And so everybody lines up and they walk through it so everybody knows exactly what their assignment is. But the Eagles knew about the reputation of that other team which will not be named. The reputation for taping other teams' walkthroughs, for, for looking at other teams' practices, for using that against them in the game. So what, what, the, what the player said was, when we did our walkthrough, we didn't walk through any of the plays that we were actually going to do in the game. We got in the formation and then we did a different play. So that if they were watching us, they would get all messed up. See, in other words, they knew what their enemy was, what their foe was, and they strategized how we're going to win this thing. And so y'all remember they were on the one yard line. It was fourth down. And, 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 and the announcers who didn't know what they were talking about said, I can't believe they're actually going to go for it. If you watch the Eagles, you know they're going for it on fourth down at the one-yard line. And so they go for it, and they're lined up, and it looks like the running back's going to run right through the middle, but that's not what they did. They did the Philly special. And the enemy wasn't ready for the Philly special. Listen, when you're strategizing against the enemy, you need to run the Jesus special every time. Because if it's you, if it's your plan, if it's your way, you're going to get hurt like me and Mike. It's, it's not going to be pretty. But you need to strategize in such a way that you're, you're, you're overcoming this enemy. He says, stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is your foe. He's older than you. He's smarter than you. He can go from one place to another real quick, and he's got a big team. It's all over the place. They're called demons. He's got a big team. You're not going to overcome them yourself. And the devil, that the word there that's, that's used in the Greek is, is for devil or diablo, and it means the tempter. He works in these ways. He tempts. 
He, he accuses and he condemns. And so he's got like a threefold destroying strategy for your life and for mine. But he says you need to be aware of his schemes. The word schemes there is a Greek word where we get our word method from. The word method comes from schemes. His method, his schemes, are crafty schemes with the intent to deceive us. That's how he works. By deceiving us to believe things about God, about the world, about others, and about ourselves that are not true. That is how the enemy works. And so his scheming leaves us defeated, it leaves us discouraged, and it leaves us often discontent. If you're struggling with an addiction or a compulsion that you just can't get over, you can't break through, that's a scheme of the enemy. If, if you have dealt with trauma in your life, but really the trauma is dealing with you because you've never worked through it at all, and it leaves you over and over again in a place of discouragement, that's a scheme of the enemy. And if, if you're at a place now, I'm glad no one at Epiphany does this, but if you're comparing yourself to other people, glad nobody here does that or if you're looking at well I'm this age and by this time I thought I would dot 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 and that leaves you discontent with your life that's a scheme of the enemy it's all schemes there, there's other schemes too that don't sound as bad if you're arrogant and proud and think you got this that's a scheme of the enemy too they're all schemes but what are the devil's specific schemes in your life? You need to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. But Paul goes on to talk about uh, the enemy that we face. And in verse 12, he tells us who the enemy is and he tells us who the enemy is not. So look with me at verse 12. He starts by saying our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Stop. This is who the enemy is not. Now, if anyone had good reason to say, I know who my enemy is, Paul is in jail. He's in jail because of his countrymen, the Jews, who hated his preaching about Christ. They were his blood brothers. But they hated him, they hated the preaching of Christ, and so they conspired against him to get him put in jail. And now he's also dealing with the Roman Empire, the Roman authority, which is conspiring against marginalized people group, Christians, who don't have any standing in their political spectrum and they can do whatever they want to them. Paul had good reason to be mad at people. Jewish people, Roman people, judges, and those who apprehended him, and all those who mistreated him in his imprisonment. There were plenty of people to blame it on. But he said that struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about people. Look, some of you are married, and if you've been married for over 37 seconds, you're going to know what I'm talking about right now. There have been times in my marriage to this incredible, godly young lady over here, Miss Harriet, where we have had intensive discussions on 
on things that we were not in total oneness about. You might call it an argument. I'm not going to call it that. But where we totally disagreed on something. And there have been times when my wife would look at me, and this hasn't happened in a while, thank, thank God. But where she would look at me and said, I am not your enemy. Why would she say that? Because she knew by my childish and immature attitude that I was looking at her as my enemy because she wouldn't say yes to what I wanted her to say yes to right now and I was getting some opposition, therefore you're my enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not your brother, it's not your sister, it's not your spouse, it's not your friend, it's not uh, your co-worker, it's not your boss. Some of us have friends, some of us have enemies, and a lot of us have frenemies. It's not them. He says, not that. It's not that. What is it then? He, he gives us four different pictures of what this enemy looks like here in verse 12. First of all, he says, it's not flesh and blood, but what, what is it? It's against rulers. The Greek word there is archos, rulers, supernatural power, having some particular role in controlling the destiny and activity of human beings. The word there, archos, comes from a word that means beginning. And so the idea of this word is it has to do with supernatural authority that initiates activities to destroy human flourishing and the glory of God. This is the ruler he's talking about. Secondly, he says it's not against, it, it is against authorities. The word for authorities there is exousios, the Greek word. That refers to transcendent rulers and functionaries in the spirit world. I don't think he's breaking out four different pictures, but he's showing us in total some of the aspects of what this spiritual enemy looks like. So it's rulers, it's archos, it's authorities, it's exousios. But look what God has to say about it. First Peter chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. In the middle of verse 21, uh, he's talking about the work that Christ has done to save us. And in the middle of that verse, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. So yeah, there are authorities, there, there's powers, there's rulers, but they're subject to Jesus. Colossians 2.15 puts it real simple. He disarmed the rulers, the archos, and the authorities, the exousios, and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. So what's the Bible saying? It's saying that the archos and the exousios are subservient to the Christos. The Christ who rules over them. It's saying that the gulf between the power of demonic spirits and even the devil himself, the gulf between his power and the power of Jesus Christ is an infinite gulf. There's no contest. They have no chance. This is why as believers we need to be aware of our enemy, we need to be clothed in Christ because that enemy will take you down in a minute. But if you're clothed in Christ, there's no more fear. He is greater. He is greater. Two more views of this enemy going on in verse 12. He says, 
um, against, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness. The word, there's one word that we translate here, cosmic powers, and, and that word deals with uh, uh, cosmic is, is world and, and the idea of powers is controlling power. So world controlling powers is what he's talking about there. Powers of this darkness, in other words, powers that want to do whatever they can do to keep you from living in the light of Jesus Christ. So they want to seize control of any part of your life, any section of your life, any little piece of your life that will keep you alienated from Christ. Keep him from being glorified in your life. Thank God that the word says in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world, the cosmic ruler here, will be cast out. He's got no hope. And the last phrase used in Colossians 1.12, or, or not Colossians 1.12, in Ephesians 6.12 is this, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So he's using the word evil there that's used in Matthew chapter 6 verse 13 in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, or I like the CSB translation, deliver us from the evil one. Speaking of the enemy, speaking of the one who works by sowing sin, who works by sowing uh, malicious intent, who works by wickedness and all of these means in order to draw us away from God. So what is he saying in all of this about the enemy? We wage war not against human agency, but against evil spiritual forces. In the African Bible commentary, they put it this way. That the enemies are many, the enemies are powerful, the enemies are spiritual, and the enemies are everywhere. But the good news is <laughs> that that enemy doesn't stand a chance against Jesus Christ. So strategize. Know that you're no match on your own. But clothe yourself in Christ. And as you do those things, the final idea is this. In verse 13, we're called to stand. The call to stand. He says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, for this reason, he says, take up the full armor of God. In verse 10, he said, put on the full armor. Clothe yourself in it. But now he's using war language again. And he's saying like, a, like a, a, a soldier getting ready for battle, you take up that full armor. Now I, I know that some of you went and saw a movie this weekend because I saw pictures of y'all on Facebook. <laughs> and I went too. My wife and I went on Thursday night and saw some Black Panther. One of the coolest things about, I mean the, the movie's amazing, but one of the coolest things about it is his suit. His suit is amazing. First of all, it's made of vibranium. That's pretty good in itself, right? But the other thing about Black Panther's suit is that it covers every single part of his body. There, there's not a hole. There's not a little place in the back. There's not a little something in the armpit. There's not something on his head. It covers 
every single part of his body. The, the Lord says to us in this verse, take up the full armor of God. Don't leave any place that is exposed. In other words, put on the full John is what he's saying in <laughs> Philadelphia language. I always have to get that in when I preach. How am I going to get John in? Put on the full John of God. Or what white people would say, the whole shebang, but that's, that's different. He says, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. So put on this armor so that in the evil day you can resist. What is the evil day? I think that based on what he says in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, he says this, pay careful attention then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Yeah. I think the evil day, I know you're at church, I know you're at Epiphany, I hope you're glad to be here, but today is the evil day. And when you wake up tomorrow, that's going to be the evil day. And when you wake up the day after that, that's going to be the evil day. He says the days are evil because the evil one is looking to do evil things to you in an evil way in order for his evil schemes to bring you down an evil path. He says it's evil all the time. Take up this armor. Put on this full armor. I remember many years ago, early in our marriage, we went on a vacation and it was after a particularly difficult time in uh, ministry life, in church life. We were wiped out. We were at the end of ourselves. I felt burnt out from all that had gone on in the church, what was happening in the ministry, and we were just at the end of ourselves. And I remember going on that vacation saying that we wanted a break from several things. We wanted a break from everything. That's what we wanted a break from. Everything, everything. Leave our home, leave uh, the people that we're involved with, leave everything behind. And at that point, it was like, we don't need to go to church. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be in the Word. We're getting away from everything. And now here's the wonderful report from that vacation. It was the worst <laughs> vacation of all time. Because you can't go on vacation from God. The enemy doesn't stop because you stop. The enemy doesn't say, I'm tired. I'm going to give him a break today. I'm going to let her slide for a week or so. He's looking for just the right time when you are tired, when you are putting down the word, when you're not in prayer. And then he comes in that day, that evil day, and you're no match for him we're called to stand at the end of this verse. He says, and having prepared everything, stand. To stand. How do we stand? Listen, the, the language there of standing, again, it's warfare language. You stand your ground. The enemy comes against you, and all he wants to do is to get you to cede a little bit of ground to him. He doesn't even care about winning the war today. He just wants a little piece of ground. And if he can get a little piece of ground today, 
Maybe next month he gets another little piece of ground. Next year he gets some more. And before you know it, you're so far away from that vibrant relationship with God where you are doing damage to the enemy's kingdom that you have no idea how you got where you are. A little bit at a time. So I have a homework assignment for you today. You didn't know you were getting homework at church. But here's the homework assignment. Number one, write down one or two major areas in your life where you know that the enemy's working along with your own flesh to draw you away from God. These are big areas, major themes. Number two, write down a seemingly very small area. I want it to be the small. You need to take some time and pray about this and think through this. What's the smallest area you can think of that relates to that big area where you sometimes fail to make a stand? When you fail to make that stand, that compromise gives ground to the enemy. So how can I make this clear? I figured out the best way to make it clear is give you a concrete example, but I didn't want anyone here to feel like I'm talking about them. So I had to think of a sin area that I know doesn't affect anybody at Epiphany. So I I thought of this area because this isn't an issue here. So the area is lust. No one at Epiphany struggles with that. I'm so glad to know that. (laughs) Matthew 5 says, if a man looks at a woman to lust, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Now the girls are saying, that's right, that's right, that's what it says. I think it works the other way around, ladies. If a woman looks at a man to lust, she's already committed adultery. What it's saying is that there is a beginning to this sin thing that we got to get a hold of the beginning of it. So, So what I want you to do in number two there is look at what is that beginning area, that that little area where you just stick your toe. Or, or actually you move back just a little bit and say, you know what, I can let my thought life wander for just a little bit. I, I know I have no business watching this program. Watching, uh, other people say, this is great. Uh, but I know for me, I have no business watching it because of what it does to my heart. It's about me and my sin. I know this is something that easily overtakes me. So even though it's not cool and I have to say I'm weak here, I, I need to step back from that. It could be relationships that are just a little bit flirtatious. It could be a touch that, look, I learned this a long time ago. Every hug in church is not a holy hug. <laughs> It's not all holy hugs. It could be all kinds of things. What is that little area? And here's the thing. That little area is your gateway drug. It's your little compromise that gives you an inability to stand against what the enemy's doing. Let me finish up with this. Jesus died on a cross to pay the debt of your sin. We sang about that a little while ago. And that's good news. But that's not all he died for. He didn't just die so that you won't have to face the penalty of your sin anymore. He died so that you would have power over sin. 
Romans 6, he says, sin is no longer master of you. He died so that you will be able to not only wage war, but win war against this spiritual enemy. He died to give you victory in Christ over all the enemy's devices. Samuel Kunhio, a Nigerian theologian, puts it in these words. The Christian does not live as if there are no evil spirits and witches, but lives with the full conviction that the devil and his forces have been conquered. The joy of being a Christian is that our, so our God is sovereign over all evil forces. The clear teaching of the scriptures is that the Christian has victory in Christ over witchcraft in all its forms. Apart from Christ, you have no shot. None. But clothed with Christ, you have nothing to fear. Let me close with this from Psalm 121. The psalmist says these words, starting in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. Christ is Lord. We're in a battle. I urge you, strengthen yourselves in the Lord. Strategize to know your enemy and stand your ground for Jesus. He is well able. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today that when Christ gave up his last breath on that cross and said, Tetelestai, it is finished. He did not say that as a whimpering cry of a defeated Messiah, but as a victorious and eternal king who knew that the power of the enemy was now vanquished. And hell, death, and the grave could not hold him down. God, we are thankful that clothed in Christ, we will be victorious. Lord, have your way among your people. I pray for each one of us that we will be more aware of the reality of spiritual warfare than we have been. That we won't be caught napping that we won't have holes in our spiritual armor, but Lord, that we would be fully covered and clothed in Christ. Have your way. Strengthen your people that we might give glory to your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Our men can come forward at this time. We're going to receive. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. 
you can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.